So welcome back to RebelCast. I'm your host, Salim Rezai. This is going to be episode number 70, Time to Antibiotics and Sepsis. And before we get into the topic, I want to introduce my co-host, Swami. How's it going, brother? Good, man. It's good to be back on. Number 70, that's a big That's a big number, man. 70 podcasts. It's been a great trip. We've been doing work, bro. We've been doing work. <laughs> so uh, so what do you got on tap today? This is, this is one that is like right up your alley. This is something that has been bugging you for a while. I... Uh, I hate core measures so much. I really do. I feel like they're so founded on weak evidence. And so I thought timed antibiotics and sepsis was a great topic. I think we picked two papers that will be fun. Absolutely. Let's get into it. So antibiotics, I don't think anybody's going to disagree, are one of the cornerstones of therapy in the treatment of sepsis, septic shock. But according to the Surviving Sepsis Campaign guidelines, time to antibiotics is a core measure And I think there's kind of weak evidence in support of this. And most of the evidence supporting this is based off retrospective studies that show delays in the administration of antibiotics after the development of septic shock is associated with increase in mortality. And they give this a number of about 7.6% for every hour that we don't give the antibiotic. Clearly, there's this idea that the faster we get antibiotics on for an infection is going to be better for the infection or better for the patient to get better from that infection. And that makes sense in our heads, but that doesn't mean that the data is going to bore it out. So the major issues is that most of the papers that look at this are retrospective studies. They're uncontrolled. The chart quality is not very good. The baseline status of the patients are unbalanced. Remember, you can't really randomize them like, oh, I've got this group of 100 patients. I know they're all septic. 50 of them, I'm just not going to give them antibiotics for a little while. Let's see what happens. We, we can't do that kind of study. So we understand the limitations. We understand why these are the articles that we are using, but that maybe shouldn't inform our practice as greatly as it does. Prospective observational studies have failed to consistently show an association between early antibiotics and mortality benefit. And prospective observation is probably the best that we're ever going to get on this topic. And yet, in spite of those higher quality studies not showing a benefit, we continue to recommend that antibiotics should be administered within one hour of sepsis recognition. And so we picked two papers. One is at one end of the spectrum. We're going to look at a pre-hospital study. And then the second one is actually, I know we normally talk about 28-day, 30-day mortality, was looking at one-year mortality, which I thought was kind of interesting. How does an antibiotic given faster affect one-year mortality? But I think it'll be some good fodder for us to discuss. And the first one I'm actually really excited about because I've never actually read this paper. It's called the Fantasy paper, Pre-Hospital Antibiotics Against Sepsis. And Everything I heard on foam or podcasts I listened to kind of made this sound like a negative study. Like, yeah, giving antibiotics pre-hospitally didn't work. But then the devil's in the details, and we'll go through this in just a second. But it's a really interesting paper now reading through the granular detail, and I think it's worth us discussing. I absolutely agree. And what could be earlier, what could be faster than giving the antibiotics in the ambulance, right? I mean, the only thing that would be faster is if we just gave everyone a little bit of uh, vancomycin and piptazo to keep in their house, and they could just start it on their loved ones when they get a fever and say, hey, oh, maybe they're septic. So this is as early as we're going to get. And obviously, we have really skilled paramedics who are just as good uh, to recognize sepsis as we are. So what they did was a randomized, controlled, open labeled trial. This was in 10 large regional ambulance services in the Netherlands, and they compared the effects of early administration of antibiotics in the ambulance versus usual care. The intervention here was open label ceftriaxone, 2000 milligrams in addition to usual care. And then the usual care arm was fluid resuscitation, supplementary oxygen, but no antibiotics in the ambulance. 
They used a sepsis severity definition based on the 2001 SSCM guidelines. They looked at uncomplicated, non-severe sepsis, severe sepsis, which was sepsis plus organ dysfunction, and then septic shock. And then before the start of the trial, all the participating EMS personnel were trained to recognize each of these different forms of sepsis promptly and then make the decision whether that patient should enter into the trial. Now, as far as outcomes, I think they were very reasonable. Their primary outcome was all-cause mortality at 28 days. I think that's very reasonable. If we give antibiotics in a pre-hospital setting, are we going to improve 28-day outcome? I think that we all agree with that. They had a number of secondary outcomes, and I don't want to go through all of them. We'll have everything in the show notes. There are a couple that I just want to point out. So the first was mortality during hospital stay and within 90 days. So I think that's still reasonable. Length of hospital stay, need for ICU admission, length of stay in the ICU. I think all of those are very, very reasonable. They had a bunch of other things like questionnaires and microbiological data, but we're not going to get lost in the weeds here. I'll have all that in the show notes for everyone. And their inclusion and exclusion were pretty good, right? I mean, the inclusion were pretty broad. Anyone over 18 suspected or diagnosed infection, they had to be either febrile, so over 38 Celsius, or a little hypothermic, so below 36 Celsius, and they had to have at least one other SERS criteria, so heart rate over 90 beats per minute, respiratory rate over 20 beats per minute. And I think we can really pick apart all of those different things and say, well, there are probably some patients that will be missed, and there's probably some overactivation for some patients. And we've discussed the issues with SERS in the past, so we're not going to get into that. As far as an exclusion criteria, there are some of these things that I think were pretty run of the mill. So if the patient was pregnant, they're not going to include them here. Uh, and that's pretty typical because it's very hard to get a study approved where you are including pregnant patients. If they had a suspected prosthetic joint infection specifically, they didn't include them, which was kind of an odd exclusion criteria to me, not one that I would particularly think of. And then if they had an allergy to ceftriaxone or other beta-lactam antibiotics, and this is one that I think we really could poke a lot of holes in, but remember that the researchers are trying to be pragmatic and get their study approved. And that doesn't really necessarily take into account what we know to be the truth about allergies to these different drugs. And then when we look at the overall population here, as we're getting into the results, there's about 2,700 patients. So it's not too bad. One thing that I do want to point out here is that the majority of patients, 58% of them actually had severe sepsis, but there was another 37% that had non-severe sepsis and only 4% had septic shock. And we'll come back to that, that uh, fact because most of the evidence points toward patients with the most severe form of sepsis, which is septic shock. And it was only 4% of this population. The other thing I think they proved was like proof of concept. So if you look at the median time to antibiotics in the intervention arm, it was about 26 minutes. And then if you look at their usual care before they had their EMS training, it was 93 minutes. But after they got all their training, they actually dropped that down to 70 minutes. So I think it does show feasibility in terms of we can get these antibiotics in people faster. But then the real question becomes, what's the patient-oriented outcome? So Swami, what was our 28-day mortality, the primary outcome in this study? Yeah, so in the intervention group, 120 patients died at 28 days. That's 8%. In the usual care group, 93 patients died also 8%. So there was really no statistically significant difference between the two groups. And there was also really no difference in 90-day mortality, readmission to the hospital within 28 days, or their 28-day readmission rate. So I think none of the other secondary outcomes are even worth mentioning here. Well, again, we'll put them all in the show notes. 
But I do want to go through some of the strengths, limitations, and discussion aspects of this paper. So the first thing I want to say is this is the first prospective randomized clinical trial that compared the effects of early pre-hospital antibiotics with usual care in patients with suspected sepsis. Pretty cool study, and I think it's pretty unique in that sense. If time to antibiotics is what matters, then giving it earlier, like you said, unless we're putting it in the bathwater, how much faster can we get it to patients? And then the finally other thing I would say is that they had an independent monitoring board that verified whether all serious adverse events and suspected unexpected serious adverse reactions were reported appropriately. Now, what are some of the limitations, Swami? I think there's a couple of big ones to hone in on. One is that about 22% of patients were already on oral antibiotics before randomization, and that might dilute the effects of early antibiotics. Yes, we kind of think in our heads that oral antibiotics aren't as good as IV antibiotics, but it's antibiotics. And if the patient has normal absorption from their gut, some of that antibiotic is going to get into their serum and they might still be fighting off the affection and it might not show the same benefit. The other big one is the one that you pointed out, which was that only 4% of these patients had septic shock. And I think that really is the group that we need to be looking at. This is the nuance of sepsis treatment. The patient who has a fever and a confirmed infection, but is not hypotensive, is not markedly tachycardic, doesn't have that LLS score, the looks like shit score of one. That patient, it probably doesn't make too much of a difference if you give them the antibiotic at 30 minutes or at 120 minutes. But the patient who's hypotensive, tachycardic, altered, you're thinking about intubating them, they look terrible, that patient probably has more of a benefit from getting the antibiotics early, and a very small portion of the patients in this study were in that latter group. Yeah, and the other thing I would say is if people don't believe that that's not the case, just look at the overall 28-day mortality in this study. We said it was 8%. Think about process, think about Arise, think about Promise, all those big multi-center randomized trials. Their mortality rate was significantly higher than 8% overall. It was closer to 20%. So it just shows you that this patient population is just not as sick as what we see in traditional sepsis papers. So let's get into the discussion here. Um, I want to talk about a couple of things here. So the first is early appropriate, and I'm doing air quotes if people could see me. Swami, you can totally see me doing air quotes. Through the podcast, uh, magic of Um, podcasting, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, through the podcast. That's right. That's (laughs) right. Yeah, yeah. So early appropriate antibiotic treatment is an important point to make here. And so what I'm saying is, is that is giving two grams of rocephin, is that what you would call appropriate when the majority of patients had some lung pathology or had a urinary tract infection? Maybe for urinary tract infections, that's okay. But that doesn't take into account like resistance, right? We don't know what the bacterial like microbiologic flora is over in the Netherlands. And two, we know there have been studies now looking at lung and Strep pneumo is becoming more and more resistant, which is one of the most common causes of uh, community-acquired pneumonia. And so is rocephin two grams alone what you would call appropriate antibiotics? And that's one of my big problems with this particular study and one of the reasons why I think you don't see benefit. So we already said it's not as sick a patient population, but is two grams of rocephin okay? What do you think, Swam? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, no, I agree. I look at a patient, I think that they're septic or identify them as having a severe infection. We're typically reaching for vancomycin plus piptazo or vancomycin plus cefepime. Those are the typical agents that we go with in the States. And I'm not sure, you know, ceftriaxone is a great drug. It really is. It's, it's wonderful for a lot of things, but it's not something that I would reach for in a patient who I've established is septic or, or definitely not one who has septic shock. So I agree. I mean, it's hard to really nitpick here because yes, they didn't show a difference at the same time the overall mortality was so low. I don't know if you ever would have shown a difference in this sepsis group. Yep. And then the second thing I want to bring up here is that we talk about like, oh my God, the time to antibiotics, time to antibiotics, right? Where mortality is going to go up for every hour we don't give antibiotics, but nobody ever talks about the flip side of that. 
inappropriate use of antibiotics. It's also an important question to ask. The study doesn't answer that question, but how many patients are receiving antibiotics inappropriately? Like how many causes of C. diff are we doing? How much more resistance are we causing? What about side effects from those antibiotics? Nobody ever talks about those things. They always just talk about dropping this time down to one hour now. There was a day it was six hours, then it was three hours, and now it's one hour. I mean, it's just how many people are we inappropriately misdiagnosing with SIRS and sepsis, and now we're giving antibiotics to them inappropriately. And we talk about this in the ED setting all the time. I can only imagine it's even harder in the pre-hospital setting. And historically, we have the answer to this, right, Salim? I mean, we know what happened when we tried to do earlier antibiotics for patients with respiratory infections when there was a, uh, a core measure that we had to do that. And a lot of patients who had mild respiratory infections, who had viral stuff, they got antibiotics. And that's not good for patients. It's not good for the overall population either. So we know exactly what is going to happen by having this core measure of one hour. And you're right. While you know we often think, I have such limited information on this patient, and I'm having to make these critical decisions, it's even more limited in the pre-hospital setting where they've got even less time with the patient. And that's not maligning our paramedic colleagues. They have certain priorities. And in a patient like this, their priority is to get them to the hospital. I don't know that their evaluation of sepsis is going to be, they're going to have enough time to do the thorough assessment that they are trained to do um, based on what they train, how they train these pa- these um, providers before they started doing the study. They're just not going to have the time to do it. The pre-hospital setting is really complex. And I don't know that this is something that we should be asking our paramedic brethren to take on when they have so many other things they have to do. And then the final thing I want to mention, and then I'll stop ranting about this this paper and this concept of time to antibiotics, is that it's also important, like just pathophysiologically, we talk about time to antibiotics, but it's from like time zero at triage and not from time zero when the infection started. But that's exactly my point. At what point do you say an infection actually started? It's not like somebody all of a sudden developed pneumonia like at time zero. It was something that developed over time. And we're seeing these people at all different times in that spectrum. And then yet we're saying antibiotics within an hour for all comers. And so I'm not saying this study answers that. I'm not saying it's even possible to answer that. But it's like you said, the LLS score, is that what you call it? Yeah. So like you you can tell when somebody looks bad. And I think there's no question if somebody looks like shit, you're going to give them antibiotics much sooner. It's like the whole concept of like kitchen sink. Whereas there's somebody who doesn't look as sick. Do that. Does that person need to get those antibiotics in an hour? And that's my problem with this core measure. Here's what the authors concluded. In patients with varying severity of sepsis, EMS personnel training improved early recognition and care in the whole acute care chain. However, giving antibiotics in the ambulance did not lead to improved survival, regardless of illness severity. And then our take home from this is after looking at some of the granular detail is in this prospective randomized clinical trial, the administration of pre-hospital antibiotics did not improve 28-day mortality compared to usual care. However, this was with a less sick population, so only 4% had septic shock. Antibiotic times were already low, 93 minutes prior to study initiation. Almost one-fourth of the patient population was already on oral antibiotics prior to enrollment. So it may be true that pre-hospital antibiotics don't improve mortality in sepsis, but because of all the confounders in this study, I'm not sure this study answers that question. All right, Salim, we're not just going to do one paper, though, for this particular podcast. We got another paper to dive into as well. Yeah, so this one is, it's not as strong as the first paper, but I think it brought up an interesting point of how does antibiotic time affect 
one year mortality. Like, is that even a thing? Like that sounded crazy to me till I started reading the paper and thinking about some of the pathophysiology behind it. But I think it brings up some good fodder for us to discuss. This is definitely not going to be a practice changing paper, but I think it's worth going over. So what they did here is this was a retrospective cohort study for hospitals in Utah. And they used this logistic regression modeling basically to adjust for association between door to antibiotic time and one year mortality. And they looked at three kind of time points. They looked at uh, greater than one hour versus less than one hour, greater than three hours versus less than three hours. And then they kind of looked at them in hour segments as well. So those are the three ways they kind of divided this up. And then Swami, what were our outcomes in this study? Yeah, before we talk about that too, I just want to mention the paper just so everyone knows what we're looking at. This was Pelton ID et al., ED, door-to-antibiotic time, and long-term mortality in sepsis. This was in CHEST just this year. The outcomes I looked at, the primary one was one-year mortality. Of course, we like mortality as our primary outcome. Again, we have a little bit of problem with the one-year. The secondary outcomes were hospital 30-day and 90-day mortality. And I'll be honest with you, Salim, 30-day and 90-day, I probably care about a little bit more than the one-year mortality. But again, these were all, uh, it was a hard endpoint, right? There's no one who's saying, uh, this guy's a little dead. Uh, should we count him as being dead or not dead? This was a very clear patient-centered outcome. Agreed. And they included what we would expect, adult patients greater than equal to 18 years of age admitted to the hospital after presenting to a study ED. And then they had signs of clinical sepsis while they were in the ED. And they excluded trauma patients and patients who died in the ED. So what were the results of the study? So they had almost 11,000 eligible patients. The median door-to-antibiotic time was about 166 minutes. So, you know, just under three hours. 30-day mortality overall was about 8%. One-year mortality was about 19%. So again, that 30-day mortality considerably lower than what we saw in those big, the promise arise and process trials. Each additional hour from ED arrival to antibiotic initiation was associated with a 10% relative increased odds of one-year mortality. So they saw something that was pretty important uh, as far as an association, and they said that that association remained linear with each one-hour interval of door-to-antibiotic time, and that was independently associated compared with door-to-antibiotic time of less than or equal to an hour. So every hour out, the mortality rose and rose and rose in a relative fashion. Mortality at one year was higher when the door-to-antibiotic time was over three hours versus less than or equal to three hours. That was statistically significant, but there wasn't much of a difference in greater than an hour versus less than an hour. So it seems that three hours was the magic window here. Yeah. And if you actually look at their door-to-antibiotic time interval and their one-year mortality, if you look at their adjusted odds ratios, it doesn't actually become statistically significant until you get over three hours. I mean, that's clearly, you can just look at the numbers. I'll put them all in the show notes. It's not till that three-hour mark. It's not the one-hour mark. I also included the 30-day mortality. And if you look at that, it actually goes out even further before it becomes statistically significant. It actually goes out to the five-hour mark for 30-day mortality. So again, this is just, this is not a robust study. And I realize there are lots of flaws with it. And we'll get into that in just a second. The point is, is that at no point in this group of patients, are we seeing this one hour magical time cutoff? It's three hours for one year, and it's like five hours for 30 days. So I don't know. This is just, I think it just adds more fodder for us to discuss. Oh, I agree, Slim. I think this is another paper that, again, whether once we get into the methods, you'll see the weaknesses. But even if you take it as this was a high quality study and with the evidence that's here, what it says is that the one hour is not magical and that probably somewhere around three to five is what's actually magical. 
There are a number of strengths in the study. We won't get into all of them. They're going to be in the show notes as always, but it was a large multi-center sepsis cohort, which is nice. 11,000 patients. That's great. It's the first time that we're really studying and examining that potential impact of antibiotics on a little bit longer term mortality instead of just looking at that one month outcome, which I think is important too. Uh, Salim, I'm not sure that the patient cares whether they die at 90 days or a year. They just care about whether they die. Yeah, I don't think that matters to any of us, right? It's just, do they live or do they die? I think it's pretty black and white patient-oriented outcome, whether it's at 30 days, 90 days, or a year. Um, Okay, some of the limitations here. So I want to just mention a couple, and then I want to kind of get into the discussion, and then we can kind of get into some of our closing thoughts. So patients were not balanced very well in this study. Patients receiving antibiotics within three hours of ED arrival, they were younger, they had more comorbidities, they exhibited more organ failure, and they had more physiologic derangements causing a selection bias favoring the early antibiotic group. In other words, sicker patients are more likely to benefit from earlier antibiotics. So that could have completely biased this regression that they did for this study. And then time to antibiotic, as we've talked about before, it's a surrogate marker for appropriate antibiotic initiation and therefore could underestimate the magnitude of the association between mortality and antibiotic delays. So those were like two of my bigger limitations of this study, but I, I really want to get into this discussion. Anything you want to start off with, Swami? Yeah. I mean, what this study really found was this association, and that's really important. Salim, we harp on this all the time. This is not a study that can show causality. All it can show is association, but it did show a, an association between English increasing antibiotic delays and one-year mortality. It showed that that was linear, which kind of makes sense. That's what you would expect. And it suggests that sepsis outcomes may improve if we provide antibiotics earlier, but it also gives us a little bit of an insight into what earlier is, what time windows actually make sense. And again, if even if you take this on face value, it doesn't support that one-hour initiation limit. I agree. And then the one thing that I wanted to bring up about this paper is like, how does antibiotics today affect one-year mortality, right? If you take care of the infection, how is that affecting one-year mortality? And the authors actually had some pretty thoughtful comments on that. So more severe enduring sepsis associated organ failure can lead to a longer recovery time, increased persistent inflammation, more recurrent infection, and then worsen deconditioning. And so all those things actually kind of make sense on face value. It's just not an outcome that I would be looking at. I would, I'm more like you, Swami. I'd want to know like, what's my 28 day, 30 day mortality. I would have preferred that be the primary outcome and this be the secondary outcome. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me too. There's some other issues with the methodology. There were baseline imbalances between the groups. There wasn't really much discussion of what chart review methods they used. And there was no comments on who reviewed the chart and what the agreements were between the people who reviewed the chart. So you might have some people included who actually didn't have sepsis. You might have missed a bunch of patients who do have sepsis. And that's a problem with any retrospective study. But what we would expect from a high end, from a well done retrospective study, is an explanation of what their methods were and how they, how complete they thought their search actually was. And we don't really get any of that in this study. Yeah, we're kind of left in the blind with that. So the author's conclusion is delays in ED antibiotic initiation time are associated with clinically important increases in long-term risk-adjusted sepsis mortality. What's our clinical take-home point from this study? In this large multicenter sepsis cohort, for every hour of delay in antibiotics, there was a 1.1% increase in one-year mortality. However, this should be hypothesis generating and still needs to be validated. So Swami, I normally do the clinical bottom line, but I actually want you to kind of give this and take us home because uh, I think I've ranted enough and people are probably (laughs) tired of listening to me rant because I can't stand this one hour core measure. There's no secret here. So I'm going to let you kind of give this as a more balanced take home message. 
Yeah, I mean, Salim's take-home message is go out to your waiting room and everyone, anyone who has tachycardia, hypotension, or a fever, just give them broad-spectrum antibiotics. That's Salim's take-home message. Just blow dart Vank and Rosefin. <laughs> just have a blow dart with Vank and Rosefin and just blow dart people based on their, uh, their uh, SERS criteria. If one of our Rebel supporters wants to put together a meme for uh, Cowboy Salim slinging, uh, slinging his Vank and Zosin in the, uh, in the waiting room, <laughs> we would fully support that. But here's our real clinical bottom line. Timed antibiotics is a measure that still needs a large multicenter RCT to confirm that this is best practice in all comers meeting surge criteria. Until that time, the best evidence indicates that in the sickest patients, those with septic shock, earlier antibiotics are more likely to make a difference in morbidity and mortality. However, earlier antibiotics in all patients who meet surge criteria may not be a good thing and has the potential to do more harm than good. Well, there you have it, Rebel Yammers. Let us know what your thoughts are. Timed antibiotics and sepsis. We'd love to hear your stories, questions, and until next time.